Section 8 of Ontario Public School Geography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Doug Shepherd. Ontario Public School Geography by the Educational Book Company of Toronto. Section 8 Introductory How the Sun Lights and Heats the Earth. The Rotation of the Earth. The sun seems to move through the sky during the day, appearing on the eastern horizon, rising higher in the sky until noon, and then gradually sinking until it disappears from view in the western sky. But as a matter of fact, the sun does not really move. You have already learned that the earth rotates about its axis just as the school globe rotates about its central wire. When day breaks, the earth has turned far enough to bring us within sight of the sun. At noon, we must look overhead to see the sun, for by that time the earth has turned sufficiently to bring us more directly under it. At sunset, the earth has turned so far that we can just see the sun on the western horizon. During the night we are on the side of the earth which is turned away from the sun, and so its rays cannot reach us. The earth turns from west to east, and therefore the sun appears to move from east to west. The earth turns completely around once in every twenty-four hours. Since the sun's rays can light only one half of the earth's surface at a given moment, one half of the earth is shrouded in the darkness of night, while the other is bathed in the light of day. When it is daytime with us, it is night on the other side of the world. When we see the sun just rising over our eastern horizon, the people who live just halfway around the world from us are seeing it sinking over their western horizon. The twilight of their evening and of our early dawn is the same, viewed in opposite directions from two points separated by half the distance around the world. Local Time Let us now imagine that the Earth has rotated to the position in which the sun's rays light the half of the Earth's surface from 90 degrees east longitude to 90 degrees west longitude. At that moment the sun is directly over the prime meridian, so that it is noon at all places situated upon that meridian, while on the opposite side of the earth, along the meridian of 180 degrees, it is midnight. Since the earth turns from west to east, all places lying east of Greenwich to the meridian of 180 degrees have already had their noon, and now it is some hour in the afternoon between noon and midnight. For the same reason, all places west of Greenwich to the 180th have not yet had their noon, and in them it is some hour in the morning between midnight and noon. The earth makes one complete rotation every twenty-four hours. We may express the same fact in another way by saying that it turns through 360 degrees in twenty-four hours, or through fifteen degrees in one hour, or through one degree in four minutes. Therefore, it is very easy to calculate the time at any given meridian as compared with the time at Greenwich. For instance, when it is noon at Greenwich, it is four minutes to twelve in the morning on the meridian of one degree west longitude, and one o'clock in the afternoon on the meridian of fifteen degrees east longitude. What time is it at all places on the meridians of forty-five degrees, sixty degrees, ninety degrees east longitude? Of five degrees, 30 degrees, and 105 degrees west longitude. Standard Time It would be extremely confusing if every place used its own local time. 
Let us think what would happen if all the cities of Ontario should do so. The traveller would have to alter the hands of his watch every time that he went from one city to another. For instance, Toronto is about four degrees west of Ottawa. Therefore, Toronto time, if exact solar time, would be 16 minutes slower than Ottawa time. A man travelling from Toronto to Peterborough, one degree east, would have to set the hands of his watch four minutes ahead on his arrival. A businessman in Sault Ste. Marie calling an office in Ottawa by long-distance telephone would have to remember that Ottawa time would be more than half an hour faster than his own. This would be exceedingly inconvenient for everyone, and particularly for the railways. What a confusing thing a railway timetable would be under such conditions! To avoid this difficulty, it is customary for all places within a certain area to use the same time, even if it is not the accurate solar time for most of them. So Canada and the United States, for instance, are divided into five regions, or time belts. These run north and south, and are each about 15 degrees wide. All places in each belt have the same time, based upon that of the meridian which runs through the center of the belt. From east to west, these belts are called Atlantic, Eastern, Central, Mountain, and Pacific time. The meridians which determine the time in each are the 60th for Atlantic time, the 75th for Eastern, the 90th for Central, the 105th for Mountain, and the 120th for Pacific. As there is a difference of exactly 15 degrees longitude between these successive meridians, so there is a difference of exactly one hour of time between successive time belts. Since the numbers of these meridians are all multiples of 15, the time in each belt is an exact number of hours slower than Greenwich time. Consequently, a traveller crossing Canada from Halifax to Vancouver needs to move the hands of his watch back only four times when passing from one time belt to another. At Campbellton in New Brunswick, he would put them back one hour, for there he passes from Atlantic to Eastern time. At Fort William, Broadview, and Field, he would have to do so again, as he passes from Eastern to Central, from Central to Mountain, and from Mountain to Pacific time. North America is not the only continent which has adopted such a system of time belts, differing by one hour. Other continents also have similar recognized time regions. This system of indicating time is known as standard time. The Revolution of the Earth About the Sun Besides the daily rotation of the Earth about its axis, there is an even greater movement of our sphere. It is rushing continually through space in an almost circular path around the Sun. It takes one whole year for the Earth to make this journey. The path it follows is called its orbit. Do you find this hard to believe, and do you wonder why we do not feel the movements of the Earth? Have you ever been on a fast express train running over a good roadbed? If you close your eyes, you can scarcely tell that you are moving, for everything about you in the car is moving at the same speed as yourself. If it were not for the slight jars and jerks as the train moves over the rails, you would not notice the motion of the train at all. There are no shocks in the Earth's progress. Its daily rotation and yearly revolution are never disturbed in the slightest degree. The Tilting of the Earth's Axis You have seen a top spinning on the floor. Usually the top stands straight up and down. That is, its axis is at right angles or perpendicular to the floor. 
Sometimes the top leans a little as it spins, then we may say that its axis is inclined from the perpendicular. Let us think of the earth as a huge top, spinning along on an invisible floor. The axis of the whirling earth is always inclined a little from the perpendicular, and the amount of inclination never varies. You can see how the axis is tilted by noting how the school globe is set in its frame. You will see at once that the axis of the globe is not at right angles to the surface of the table or of the floor on which it is standing. Although the tilting of the Earth's axis is always the same, the position of the Earth in relation to the Sun is always changing. Thus, at one time of the year, the North Pole is slanted toward the Sun and the South Pole away from it. As the Earth rushes along in its orbit, this position is gradually reversed until the South Pole slants toward the Sun and the North Pole away from it. On June 21st, the Earth reaches the place in its orbit where the North Pole is tilted most toward the Sun and the South Pole away from it. Then the North Pole and a large area around it are in continual sunlight. We speak of the area in which there is continual sunlight during the whole of this day as bounded by a line called the Arctic Circle. Find this line on the globe. The sun's rays, of course, cannot strike vertically on this far northern region even on June 21st, since the North Pole does not face the sun directly. Therefore, even at noon on June 21st, the Eskimos must look southward to see the sun, although it is higher in their sky on that day than on any other. We must go much farther south to reach the part of the Earth's surface which faces the sun directly on June 21st. Find the Tropic of Cancer on the globe. At noon on June 21st, the sun is directly over all places situated on this tropic. It marks the northern limit of the vertical rays of the sun. You remember that the equator divides the globe into two equal parts. Since the sun's rays fall vertically on June 21st far north of the equator, more than half of the northern hemisphere and less than half of the southern hemisphere are in sunlight. Therefore, it is summer in the north, while it is winter in the south. The wheat grower of Canada cuts his grain in July or August, but in Argentina, far on the other side of the equator, the wheat is ready to harvest in January. For the same reason, on that day, June 21st, all the northern parts of the world have their longest day and shortest night, while in the south, the opposite is the case. As the earth sweeps along in its orbit, the tilting of the North Pole toward the Sun becomes less and less. The polar area, which is continually in sunlight, decreases in proportion. The Sun's rays fall vertically a little farther south every day, as the movement of the Earth in its orbit gradually brings the South Pole closer to the Sun. On September 21st, the equator faces the Sun directly at noon. On that day, the sunlight just reaches both poles, and therefore day and night are of equal length, throughout the world. As the Earth moves on in its orbit, the South Pole remains in the sunlight while the North Pole is tilted away from the Sun and is in darkness. On December 21st, the Earth reaches the point in its orbit exactly opposite to its position on June 21st. Now the South Pole is tilted most toward the Sun. The area in which there is continual sunshine on that day is marked by the line which we call the Antarctic Circle. The vertical rays of the sun are now far south of the equator. The Tropic of Capricorn marks their most southern limit. Find these two lines on the globe. 
On March 21st, the Earth reaches the point in its orbit opposite to its position on September 21st. Then, once more, the sunlight reaches both poles, and the whole world has light and darkness for exactly twelve hours each. There are two days, therefore, every year, when day and night are equal in length. These two days are called the equinoxes, a word which means equal nights, that is, nights equal to the days. During the year, the vertical rays of the sun pass from the Tropic of Cancer to the Tropic of Capricorn and back again. Therefore, every place lying between these two tropics receives the rays of the sun vertically twice a year, and at no time are the rays very far from vertical. Would the temperature of this broad belt between the tropics be very hot or very cold? No other region in the world ever has the sun directly overhead. The sun's rays always fall slantingly upon the places which lie north and south of the tropics. The slant of the rays increases with distance north or south of the tropics until the poles are reached. Therefore, in general, the farther north of the Tropic of Cancer or south of the Tropic of Capricorn a place is situated, the colder is the climate. The Zones The hot central belt which girdles the earth between the two tropics is called the Torrid Zone. It extends for 23.5 degrees on each side of the equator. The poles are capped with ice, but the tropical belt knows no winter. Find its width in miles. You have already read of one race which lives in the torrid zone. Name this race of men and describe their life. Describe a tropical forest and some of the animals which are found there. That part of the Earth's surface lying between the Tropic of Cancer and the Arctic Circle is called the North Temperate Zone. The part lying between the Tropic of Capricorn and the Antarctic Circle is named the South Temperate Zone. The temperate zones are best suited to white men. In them cereals such as wheat, oats, barley, and rye grow well. In the North Temperate Zone live the great nations of the world. The area surrounding the North Pole and bounded by the Arctic Circle is called the North Frigid Zone. Name a race which lives within this zone. Describe their land. The South Frigid Zone is the area between the Antarctic Circle and the South Pole. It is even more bleak and desolate than the Arctic regions. The South Pole is surrounded by a vast expanse of ice hundreds of feet thick. Nobody at all can live in this area. Even animals are much rarer than in the North, and a few hardy species of birds are almost the only living things to be found there. Of course, there is no sudden change at the dividing line between these zones. The change is very gradual indeed. There is little difference in the temperature between the southern part of the north temperate zone and the northern part of the torrid zone, or between the northern part of the north temperate zone and the southern part of the north frigid zone. The zones are important subdivisions of the earth. If we know in which zone a country lies, we have some idea at least of its climate, its vegetation, and its animals. We shall find our knowledge of the zones of considerable help when we come to study the world in greater detail. End of section 8. Recording by Doug Shepherd.